my mom. You're listening to Combat Zone 360, where we discuss everything military. Today on our show, we have Army veteran, Donna. Thank you for joining me today, Donna. Thank you for having me. Yes. Now, if you could, could you introduce yourself to our listeners? Let them know who you are, what you're about, where you grew up, things that you were interested in while growing up, so our listeners can connect with you. Okay, I was born. I was born in Harlem, New York, and my actually my parents are from the West Indies, and they came here. And so I'm called consider myself West Indian American from Trinidad and Tobago. Um, so I said, as I said, I was born in Harlem. Then I went to we lived in the Bronx a little bit before moving to Long Island Bay Shore, and I went to the Brentwood School District from first grade through twelfth grade. Um, during my four years in high school, I had joined the Junior Air Force Junior ROTC program. That's a very popular program in high school. Any um, ROTC, ROTC, ROTC program is popular in high school. So I took interest in that. I wanted to gain some knowledge about the mil- like military per se and was a discipline and I liked wearing a uniform. So that was like one of my first early uh, interests as far as how the military was like. And I was in I was in the drill team for a little while, and then after that, I didn't I didn't join the armed forces until like a few years later after high school. Um, so I went to college. I went to SUNY Farmingdale. I got my associate's degree, and after I got my associate's degree, I joined the armed reserves. I got a I went into the army. As the recruit gave me like a, what's it called back then? It was where you could they could contract you out, where you could join the army reserves. You go to the drills before mm-hmm. going to basic training. Okay, the um, future soldier program. Yeah. Or is it? Yeah. And they allowed me to do that, except I couldn't at the time. I couldn't go in the field. I could just do the reserve time one week in a month. Okay, so the TTP. I forgot what they called it. It was so long ago. Yeah, I think that's like the um, temporary, where you only go one week in a month, two weeks during the summer. You don't well, I couldn't go during the summer because I wasn't, a, I wasn't a, a soldier yet. Ah, okay. Yeah. So you haven't went to basic training. So, so with the Army Reserves, when you end up joining, you become a soldier before you ship off the basic training. Once you join, you're part of the reserves the day you sign your contract. You don't have to go to basic training to be a reservist. Um, What happens is after you sign your contract, you get introduced to your unit, you start drilling, and then they're the ones that set your dates as in your advanced individual training, things like that. If stuff happens, the Army has that information. But it's up to the reserves to make sure you get to where you need to be. Okay, correct. Yeah, so once you join that, once you sign that contract, you're a reservist, you're in. That is your first day in the Army right there. Yeah. Yep. So trust me, I know, I know. So what job did you do in the reserves? I was, I got, I was a mechanic, 62 Bravo. Okay, 62 Bravo? 63 Bravo. Lightweight mechanic. 
Okay. All right. So you worked on the Humvees and and the tanker trailers, the nine fifteen trunks, the Rucker. Okay, so anything basically with wheels. Right. Correct. Okay, nice. And how long did you end up serving while you were in? I did like I joined in September thirties, nineteen ninety six, and then to the reserve side also up until October 29th, 2002. At that time, I was talking to a recruiter and they gave my unit command, they gave me a conditional release to go on active duty. Oh, nice. So you went active duty after that? Yeah. From okay. October 29th, 2002 to January, ja- January 31st, 2006. And it's, and- it's funny because you, you ended up joining the reserves a year after I joined the actual army. Um, I joined in 95. Oh. You ended up joining in 96. And then I actually, I did three years. I got out of the army and I went back in a year and a half later in April, 2000. So yeah. when, when you ended up going active duty, I was on my way to Hawaii. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And did you keep the same job while in active duty? Yes. I was hoping to change at some point, but that never, it never really worked out that way. Yeah, because like six really, months after my home. No, I was I was gonna say it's actually really difficult active duty unless it's within your your contract to, to change your job. Oh really? Okay, yeah. I didn't know. Yeah, it, it it's difficult. They have to have the job open. You have I mean the stars have to align. Really? Because I, I know sometimes like when you're in it, like say if so, like myself about it, if I didn't like the MOS. It's not easy to switch just like that. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, it was okay, but it was not what I had thought. But I made the best of it while I was on active duty. Yeah. You know? I got you. When you went from, you know, when you ended up joining the reserves, what was that determination that made you want to join and serve your country, even though it was just in the reserves? Well, I had, I was in the Army, I mean, I was in the Junior ROTC program, and I always, at that time, I, I always had a, uh, I always had some type of goal as to join the Armed Forces at some point in my life, but not right after high school, but I did it a few years after. Okay, you know, so you, you've I, always had that drive. Yeah, and then I know I was doing some research as far as with the different um, forces. Because mm-hmm. some of them, they go by the um, the the score, the aptitude test. Correct. It, you know, certain the ASVAB. Aptitude, yeah, the yeah. ASVAB. I'm not really a good test taker, so I passed it. I know, I think the Air Force and I think the Navy, I think they're required to hire the scores that you have to get so. at the time when I was going in. Yeah. And then, you know, with my scores and stuff, and I know that, and I had to do research, I know the Army is like one of the largest branches, so then... It worked out for me to join the Army Reserves at that time. Oh, yeah. And when you ended up joining the Reserves, you went in as a mechanic. Now, you know, a few years later, you decided, hey, I want to go active duty. When um, was it? It was right after 9-11, if I'm not mistaken, correct? It was, yeah. It was right after. Because during 9-11, I was in the, um, was it the, it was the military police unit. In Hempstead, right next to Hofstra. Mm-hmm. 
Uh-huh. And I was getting ready that same week. I was, I think I took the PT test that the day of the 9-11 and I passed it because they do like pre-PLDC uh-huh. at that time. And they wanted to make sure that I passed the PT test before going and sending me to New Jersey, which I did. And then that's when 9-11 occurred. I was getting ready to go home. They were going to release me. And then 9-11 happened. And they're oh, like, wow. you gotta stay. And, and it helps out all the soldiers right. and everything. Yeah. And what was your de- um, deciding factor to go from the Army Reserves where you were back here helping out um, during 9-11 to go active duty? Well, we were not happy with 9-11. We were on lockdown. We were like mo- activated for 30 days. Mm-hmm. I know those quite a people. Well, at that time when I was in the military police, half the unit was worked for the NYPD or Suffolk Nassau County. And then other people had a few other jobs that are not not law enforcement. But I remember there was quite a few people from the city that took a while to come because of what was going on with 9-11 as far as getting transporting and getting to Long Island. Everything was a mess, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, there was like four other units in the the company over by Hofstra University. Uh You know, so that was, that's a day no one could forget what happened. Very much so. When when 9-11 actually happened, I was in on a field problem in Fort Lewis, Washington. And we had a radio playing out there and it came over the radio. So that's how we found out. Really? Yeah, we didn't get to see it on TV or anything, but we heard all the reports over the radio. So how long did you end up serving active duty? I did three years. And three months after duty, after I was doing I was supposed to be a three-year contract, but was a stop loss. I stayed an extra three months. Okay. You know. And what was, was your deciding factor to get out? Um, I thought it was time to get out, you know, just to get my honorable discharge. Okay. Do I mean, regret? I didn't know it. Oh, the MOS wasn't really for me. And like how you said, like, it's hard. It was hard. To change at that time. Mm-hmm. I was thinking about if I was going to do it again, I wanted to do something like administration or something like chaplain assistant or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Now, do you regret getting out of the military at all? Um, well, I not regret it. I mean, I'm glad I did my time and get out. You know, I have some, you know, I don't know if I regret it. You can't regret serving your country. I'm glad I did it and I got out. I mean, I joined the time when I joined active duty it was during um, the war time. Uh-huh. So I did two deployments in Iraq, you know. Oh my! Yeah. Yeah. So after those two deployments, you were just yeah. saying, you know, it's time to go. Yeah, because I was in. I was. I had a process in Fort Stewart, Georgia, and then I was. I was. My location was at Hunter Army Airfield, which is Third ID and. From what everybody said, that third infantry division, that's our rapid deployment post. Very much so. I am very familiar with that. <laughs> I served at Fort Stewart my very first three years in the Army, and Fort Stewart made me get out of the Army. Really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> wow. I did not like it. I hated it. The mosquitoes were bigger than I were. They tried to take me away every time we were in the field. 
when you're out there and you slap over your head, you just come down with a handful of gnats. It's annoying. It's painful. I did not like Fort Stewart one bit. Mm. I mean, I remember when I was in process and everyone was saying, you better off going to hunt the Army Airfield because it's nicer because as soon as you're out the gate, you're in the town. Yeah. Oh, yeah. It took us 40 minutes, 45 minutes to get from Fort Stewart down to Savannah. Yeah. Because yeah, no, I heard, so. like, to get out of the post from Hunter, I mean, Fort Stewart, it's a long ride, I heard, to get out of the post into the town. Because it's next to Hinesville, right? Uh, well, Hinesville is, is right outside, but it's a small country town. It's, it's not a big town. Um, you know, they had a couple clubs there because it was next to a military base. They had a couple stores, but it wasn't really anything big. If you wanted to go and enjoy city life, you had to go to Savannah. Um, to go enjoy that type of area. And you had to ride down a long, dark road at night, which was really where we did our field problems out, out in the woods. And by the time we got to the highway, we've already traveled like so far down a dark road. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it was terrible. And then you get on the highway and you drive a little north to go to, you know, the um, Savannah where Hunter Army Airfield is. And that's where you got to actually have fun. I, I did that drive a lot. A lot. Yep. So uh-huh. you guys got to enjoy um, St. Patrick's Day over in Savannah during that yes, time. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I spent I spent two Thanks Patrick's days down in Savannah where they turned that little river green. Yeah. And it's nothing but a huge street party. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it was a lot of fun there. I, I, I had a lot of fun in my personal life, but my military life there was terrible. Yeah. yeah. So when you ended up transitioning out of the army. And coming back home, what type of career field did you get into? Well, I had applied through, I know, like, prior to coming back to New York, I had, they out-processed you, they helped me through a resume, and then when I came back, I went to, they recommended me go to the Department of Labor, and they have, like, a veterans liaison. Yeah. And I did all that, looking for jobs all over, and it took a while, and then I had to go for unemployment. Mm-hmm. A little bit before getting an actual job, I got a, my first job. I got working in the Brentwood School District as a, a teacher assistant. Te- yeah, but okay. I just want to go for education, mm-hmm. you know. And um, then at the same part time, and then I was doing then I got a job offer at the Northport VA in Long Island working in nutrition and food service. Nice. So that was like two part time jobs, you know. I was doing that for about a year and then. I had gotten offered, and I took another. I took a civil service exam, and then I waited out a year, and then I got offered a full time job working for the New York State Office of Mental Health. Okay. As a mental health therapy aide, so right. I've been working for the New York State Office of Mental Health since August thirtieth, two thousand seven. Oh wow! So you've been working yeah. for them for a while, right? 
Yeah. And how's that job going? It's good. I, I started off working on the wards inpatient at Pilgrim. And then after that, I got a position working at um an acuity outpatient setting called Raka uh-huh. in King Park, where they house like 150 um residents. Another outpatient setting. It was still part of Pilgrim, but it was on the grounds of King's Park. And that was a nice setting. And then I did that for two years. And then after that, I got transferred to um, another outpatient setting called St- um, Soccer. And Soccer's in that works in Nasa Community Housing. And I worked in Lindenhurst for, for quite a bit of years from 2012 to the present. And then I'm supposed to be doing, I'm supposed to be getting like a reassignment position coming up soon, working in the ICM as a bridger for the. Mm-hmm. New York State Office of Mental Health, working more like in social services in the community, helping patients transition out of in from it being hospital into the community setting. Nice, you know, and I, I I know with the job that you do now, you you do a lot of giving, and I know the giving does not stop there because you are really involved with the veteran community still. Till this day, how many organizations do you end up volunteering for every year? Well, quite a bit. I know the most <laughs> recent one I did before the holidays, I did Reese Across America. Uh-huh. That's a big one that you laid Reese across all the um, veterans who passed away on on the grounds of on Long Island, Calverton, which was fun. You get people from various veteran organizations. I did it through Team Red, White, and Blue this year and through my VFW posts in Patchogue. So I, I did it through two, two the organizations I belong to doing that event. And then I met, you know, quite amazing people from other organizations who are, who do it out of the goodness of their heart, helping people who have served the country, like actual churches and other very, like the Girl Scouts, Boy Scouts, who, who, who um, participate in that as well. But I also, as I said, I belong to Team Rubicon, and I also belong to VFW Post, which is the, one of the oldest, largest, oldest organizations for combat veterans, VFW Post. So VFW is Veterans of Foreign Wars. Right. What's Rubicon? What's that? Team one? Rubicon is more, Team Rubicon is something like, similar to like the Red Cross, they deal with natural disaster reliefs. Okay. Like the first event I did with them was back in 2019 with Reese Across America in Calverton, but they do like national disasters, like safe things like hurricanes uh-huh. and, uh, or tornadoes. They do all that. I have never been on the point with them, but during the um, the event was the pandemic, I was helping out T. Rubicon volunteering through Island Harvest, uh-huh. working in like a food pantry bank, volunteering at time. During the, you know, when it was critical with the lockdown, I was doing yeah. that for a couple of months, and then after that, I did something new. When they came out with the vaccination, helping out with the flow control, uh-huh. doing that in Long Island, out east near um, through Team Rubicon, but through Southern College, out in Long Island, and then after that, I did it in Harpog. Oh wow! But then it was it was through Team Rubicon, but then after they had stopped that was the vaccination and then they said if you want to continue doing that on your own, you gotta do it through the um MRC through the county. 
Uh-huh. And register to them and do that. Combat Zone 360 is sponsored by USA Warrior Stories. USA Warrior Stories is a nonprofit organization that interviews veterans and then turns their personal stories into individual documentaries. Please visit their website at usawarriorstories.org and donate today. If you are a veteran and would like to tell your story, email USA Warrior Stories at info at usawarriorstories.org. Also follow them on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook by searching USA Warrior Stories. Okay, so we have VFW, we have Team Rubicon, we have the Wounded Warrior Project, which everybody knows who that is. They're right. all over the place. Yeah. Who else do you volunteer with? Um, um, RWV. RWV. Yeah, and and, and what's Pro- that? RWV. It's like it's it's like it's like similar to Wounded War- Warrior Project, but they do more okay. like social events, more like. Um, events as far as I don't do like the triathlons, but I know they do like other things as far as like different events that we have here in Long Island, like the veterans runs. Yeah, they participate. Oh, so you're talking about Team Red, White, and Blue? Yeah. Okay. So. And, okay, and then who else? I do this other thing. It was affiliated with um. Columbia University, the person, the founder of that, his name is Dr. Um, Joe Gerasi, mm-hmm. and he's part of the Pro Vetris, and they were doing that. I'm like one of the mentors for helping soldiers transition out from the military back into the civilian sector. Oh, wow. So I took that training through Columbia University, mm-hmm. and then after that, I got my certificate, and then I helped pair mentor other veterans who are transitioning out. Okay. Um, what other organizations do you volunteer for veteran? What other organizations? Well I I play sled hockey. Um it's not really a veterans organization, but I like to play sled I don't think a lot of people know about sled hockey. They have it in Long Island. I play in hemp and Best Page, but do we have veterans that are part of the organization as well, but it's the able bodied and people with intellectual disabilities and mm-hmm. um, mental mental illness, we don't, they don't they take everybody, and we learn from each other. It's like a group, um, family like, and I like the sport. I was introduced by the program when I went to one of the actual tournaments through my team, the Long Island Rough Riders, mm-hmm. and. When I went to Chicago, it was a, it was some type of event they had, and it was like for Warriors for playing set hockey. So I went to Chicago back in 2019 with the Warriors, and I played sled hockey with the team. So I was glad to be introduced with that. It was a sled hockey. But they have, like, Warriors sled hockey, but I didn't know about that until, like I said, after the fact. You're leaving one organization out, and I would hate for you to miss this organization because you and I just volunteered for them oh, okay, not okay. too long ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The 2022 <laughs> PSD. Yes. We do annually. We kayak from Bridgeport, Connecticut through um, Port 
Jefferson and it's 22 miles. It's, it's, it's a long day event. And it, the meaning of that is to show us the event was PTSD as far as veterans suffer PTSD and the suicide rate is like 22 a day. So it's for that cause. You know, yeah. And I ended up starting that day out very well by getting stung by a bee. <laughs> really? <laughs> but there are so many yeah. other organizations, like you said, I belong also. I'm also a peer mentor for the PFC Dwyer Support Group organization, Long Island. Yes. Actually, the same, jo the late Joseph Dwyer, I didn't know. He had served in Iraq the same time I did, and he, he was a native Long Islander. He actually served in the 30th Division as when I did. Oh, wow. Whole world, you know, I didn't know him. Yeah. yeah. So you've done some writing pieces as well. Could you tell us a little bit about them? Well, I started actually when I was going to the Northport VA, there was um I know I met a counselor and she told me I should do some journaling, you know, mm -hmm. my experience in the war and stuff. And then after I was in the actual section with the Iraq and Afghanistan, I saw a a flyer saying veteran writing workshops through um what's the organization called? Um it, the founder of that person is her name is Tara Kara Kraus. And I is that coming to me, the organization, but that was the first veterans writing workshop I went in New York City. And you know, I met some of the veterans, some of them were poets, some of them were talking about their military experiences and then I was introduced with other veteran rap workshops through what they told me was through New York University, Fordham University, and Columbia, and others. So I had visited them after, and I met the facilitators from, you know, all the the writing workshops, and they were nice. Some of the college students who attended there who came back were veteran alumni, but some of them had actually. We're going to school as being a facilitator running the program. So I started writing other stuff. And my first anthology was through the Fordham University Veterans Writing Workshop, a book that was published. And after that, I was writing also through the NYU, which I got published through New York University's anthology. And then I had branched off into other venues, writing workshops and talking to other writers and not only veteran writers, but other people who just write in general or who are supported in veteran writers. And then I was fortunate at Columbia University where I had met the um, editor from New York Times. She came and visited us and she told us like how they do their process as far as the um, war times, New York war times. And I submitted it and they liked my story. And I had got it published about having a learning disability in the military and how it was for me to go through that experience in combat. So I, I was happy that that got accomplished. I mean, that published in New York Times, that was one of the big accomplishments I had done, you know, the New York Times at war. And it was going well. I was hoping to publish another one back in another story of my experience when I misplaced my weapon twice in Iraq. But then but I misplaced my weapon twice in Iraq. But the time when <laughs> but the time when I was ready to do submit it, then I had found out that at the war had closed New York Times because of the pandemic that people got 
the editors got relocated in a different capacity in the New York Times as yeah. in a different capacity. So they closed the New York Times at war, which I was a lot of people were disappointed in that because they had they had a New York Times at war running for a few years prior to 2018 or something like mm-hmm. that. I think like five years and it had it had stopped and then they they brought it back. I think in 2017, 2018, and yeah. then it, it got closed again in 2020 because of the wow. pandemic. So, you know, no one knows in the future if, if it may open up again. Yeah. And so what does Donna's future look like? Where do you see yourself going with all of this knowledge you've done, all of this volunteer work you've done, you know, all the, you know, your, your, your veteran status? Where is Donna going in the near future? Well, um, I'm not, I mean, I hope I like to still continue to help people. You know, I think that help by helping people, I believe that I'm helping myself too. You know, it's always good to give back in public service. Yes. Um, I mean, after it was hard, though, I can say, like, after going back to school, when I got my bachelor's degree, just before I went on active duty i was in the reserves so i was happy to accomplish that at that time and then i went to school later on like about i got out in the active duty in 2006 mm-hmm. and then i resumed my studies my math masters in 2012 you know it was hard because i was going back to school as an older adult and yeah. i worked for new york state office of mental health as a you know graveyard shift going to school at Columbia University and then taking my field placement doing 21 hours a week. That was challenging. And then, um, you know, I had took the boards a few times when I wasn't successful in passing it, but I hope to take it again in the future. You know, I have a a team that I'm working with. I, it was called, um, it was formerly called Donna's team, but um, I, I changed the name since the pandemic. And I have to reach out to the people on my team. And, you know, it's called Donna's dream team. You know, because nice. I like to pass the board so I could have my license. But, you know, it's a long haul. I don't know, you know, what the Lord has in store for me. I, I do, you know, have faith in the Lord that something good will come out of it. Definitely. And don't give you up, know? you know, keep pushing forward. Keep following that dream. Because that's what life is made of, just dreams, you know, reach for the stars. You know, that's the way I look at it, you know. But one thing I would like for you to do, Donna, before we end up moving on um, tonight is to really just, we have listeners that are still in the military. We have listeners that are, out of the military and we have civilian listeners you know we have listeners in south africa in spain all over the world you know one thing i would like to ask is if you could give them advice on a piece of life something that you see have it be ptsd how could we get through it could be, you know, just life itself. Just some type of advice I want you to give to these listeners. Um, I would say, you know, believe in your dreams. Don't give up on it. 
you know, you always have people telling you that or discouraging you say you can't do, but you have to believe in yourself. Mm-hmm. You know, if you don't believe in yourself, no one's going to believe in you. You know, I know life is not easy and sometimes you may, you may have to try more than two times, three times before you get it right, but you have to still not give up and, you know, you have to reach out, find people that were inspirational to you or who may give you the drive to do something, you know, like that. And, um, and also pray, I would say, praying. I know there's different religions out there, but I believe having faith, you know, you can do anything. Nice. Well, thank you very much for that, Donna. And thank you for coming and talking to us on Combat Zone 360 and giving your experience in the military and after the military, the things that you've accomplished and all the volunteer work that you do for the veteran community. It is very appreciated. I thank you. I know all of these veterans out here, thank you for giving your personal time to assist them. You know, so I want to thank you for coming on and speaking with us today. Yes. And thank you for listening to Combat Zone 360. Make sure you turn tune in next week and continue listening to the stories that we have coming on from other veterans. And until next time, make sure you thank a veteran.